And that was good singing. And praise the Lord for that. I'm going to have you go to Matthew chapter number 7 with me. Matthew chapter number 7. There is one advantage to being able to step out of my pulpit and go to another pulpit um, on a Sunday morning. I have to tell you, it's difficult to say yes to step out of my own pulpit on Sunday morning. I, I never understood that until I became a senior pastor. And uh, stepping out of my pulpit is, is kind of a, when, when Brother McNair asked me to do this, I was like, man, I'd love to, brother. Um, and, uh, the, but the closer it gets, the more I realize that I'm not getting to minister to my people. But the one advantage that, uh, that, I, uh, that I see in it is that I get to preach to a congregation of like-minded people that are not my flock, and so I get to preach something that I wish a pastor who comes in my place would preach to my people. I, I believe that um, the more uh, my people hear me, the more I become like sounding brass and a tinkling cymbal. And um, so I, I don't take it lightly to be able to stand behind this sacred desk uh, for Brother McNair, good friend of mine. The only thing I hate about the guy is that he doesn't age. <laughs> is this live streamed? Yeah. <laughs> if it is, Brother McNair, you're a communist. <laughs> uh, so, I have you in Matthew chapter number 7, and this is going to be a bit personal to me as well. Um, I was born and raised in Indianapolis, Indiana, and grew up at Villa Baptist Church under the preaching of Lester Roloff. He used to come to our church once a year. How many of you know the name Lester Roloff? Uh, all the older people raised their hands. Um, uh, Jack Hiles, um, Tom Malone, uh, Tom Wallace. Uh, Dolphus Price, I mean, you name it, I've heard the people preach. The one person I don't know that I ever did get to hear preach was John R. Rice, and, uh, but uh, uh, I, I was raised under that type of preaching, and uh, from the time I was in the nursery uh, to present day, I probably can count on one hand the number of times I've missed church. And um, so in December of 86, I um, joined in the United States Air Force and spent 10 years in the Air Force. And through those travels, I ended up in Colorado Springs. And um, in the church that we ended up there, I, was, I became a deacon in the church. And uh, as a deacon in the church, it was May 25th, 1994, that I was sitting on the very back row, right down the center. And um, I, we were, we were, I had a, a security spot, so to speak, as a deacon, um, so it's not that I was a proper Baptist by sitting on the back row. Um, uh, I, I was a person who liked to sit on the second or third row. But on Wednesday night, I had that uh, particular task of sitting in the very back row, uh, right down the center. And uh, it was that night that I knew beyond any shadow of a doubt I was not saved. And so I have a particular interest in the Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night crowd. I have a particular burden for that. Um, I do realize and understand that the gathering we have here today, a very large, very large percentage of people are saved. I'd never preach a message to try to get someone to doubt their salvation. But I do preach messages 
that are near and dear to me because I lived a life of self-deception. And it was not until May 25th, 1994 that I knew I was not saved as a deacon in the church. And I'll have to tell you in a split second the thoughts that went through my mind. Um, yes, I am saved. Well, I'm a deacon. What are people going to think? Um, and, and, and I decided right then and there, sitting in that seat, that I was not going to, because I raised my hand in the invitation on a Wednesday night of all things. Uh, an invitation on Wednesday night. Imagine that. And um, the pastor asked, if you don't know Christ as your Savior, raise your hand. And I raised my hand, and I looked up, and I met his eye. And I knew right then that he thought I misunderstood the question. How many of you have ever raised your hand in an invitation because everybody else around you raised their hand, and you weren't paying attention, or you were asleep or something, and you raised your hand? You, yeah, I, we've all done that. Well, I knew immediately that he thought that I misunderstood the question because, hey, I was one of his deacons. I was a soul winner. I'm out every week leading people to Christ. And that was the first thought that crossed my mind. And I thought to myself, well, you got an out. Immediately quashed that because I thought, you know what? I I know I'm not saved and I'm not going to let anything keep me out of heaven. And pride, I was not going to let that be an issue. And so I walked down the aisle and met the fella that was standing at the front as an altar worker. He was a friend of mine, pastors in Hutchinson, Kansas right now. His name was Richard Haley. He and I were elected together as deacons. And we were soul-winning partners every once in a while. And I walked down the aisle and I said, Rich, I'm not saved. And he looked at me and he went, "Uh, uh, 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 okay. And we went over right this area right here. Our piano was over there, right down the bottom of the steps. And I received Christ as my Savior. We kind, of, we kind of chuckled through the whole thing because he asked me, do you want me to go through the Romans road with you? And I said, sure. And then when we were done, he looked at me and he said, do, do you want me to pray with you? I said, no, I think I got it. I think I got it. And I received Christ. How many of you grew up in church? Oh, good percentage. You remember the song, There's been a great, great change, change since I've been born. You remember that song? How many of you did that in, in, in like Sunday school? and think? Yes. I never ever understood that song until I stood up. See, I was a deacon. I have never smoked a cigarette in my life. I've never taken a drink of alcohol. I've never committed adultery on my wife. Matter of fact, uh, we were both virgins when we got married. I've never done what we consider to be the heinous sins. And so there was no necessarily no outward change in me where people would look at Ford Glover and say, wow, the Lord really got a hold of him because I was raised in this since nursery. But when I stood up off of, from my knees... That song went through my mind, and I knew immediately the change that took place in there. That's why it's such a burden to me. Um, so I mean, Matthew chapter number 7, if you would, uh, we're going to read three verses. Let's all stand if, you, if you're able. Uh, I'm going to read three verses to you. Beginning in verse number 21, Matthew 7, the Bible says, Not everyone that saith unto me, Lord, Lord shall enter into the kingdom of heaven, but he that doeth the will of my Father which is in heaven. 
Many will say unto me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in thy name? And in thy name have cast out devils, and in thy name done many wonderful works. And then will I profess unto them, I never knew you. Depart from me, ye that work iniquity. Father, we love you this morning. Ask that you put your hand of blessing on this service. Honor your word. May it go forth and touch the heart. I ask that the need of every single heart in this room be met today, whether it be for salvation, whether it be for encouragement, whether it be for uh, being uplifted, whether it be, uh, whether it be rebuke. I don't care what it is. Holy Spirit, you know what everyone in this room needs today, and I ask that you meet that need. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. As we come to Matthew 7 in verse number 21, Jesus had been teaching and preaching in the synagogues in Galilee and healing all manner of sickness and all manner of diseases. He was pretty well known at this point. His fame had spread abroad uh, pretty much around every, everywhere around there, like wildfire. People were saying the Messiah has come. Other people were saying a great teacher has come. And other people were certainly coming to see the miracles that he would perform and from Matthew chapter number 5 and verse number 3 up, and to, up to and including and past where we are in our text, pretty much that entire three chapters, 5, 6, and 7, pretty much that entire time Jesus is preaching and teaching uh, to, uh, to these people. In these three chapters, he gives the Beatitudes. He teaches the people about being the salt of the earth. Uh, he teaches them that they're to be light in a dark world. He shows them that the New Testament is more strict than the Old Testament. Uh, he teaches them about turning the other cheek. He teaches them that their righteousness needs to go beyond the righteousness of the scribes and the Pharisees if they want to see heaven. He teaches them how to pray. He teaches them how to fast. He teaches them about the meaninglessness of earthly treasures. He teaches them about the importunity in prayer. He teaches them about having a judgmental attitude. He teaches them about the broad and the narrow way. He teaches them how to recognize false prophets um, in, in the context of having good and corrupt fruit. He teaches them about the solid foundation of a Christian life. He teaches them about the day that everyone will stand before God. And it's that particular teaching that I want to focus on today and that our, that our text focuses on. Uh, I'm pre-tribulationist in my theology. I don't particularly um, have a humongous fight with people who may be mid-trib or post-trib. I think they're wrong, but, uh, but, but in pre-tribulational theology, the, the fact of the matter is, is that we're all going to stand before God one day. I don't care if you don't even believe in a tribulation. Um, uh, we're all going to stand before God one day. But in pre-tribulation theology, the next thing on the docket is the rapture. We're going to go. And then after the rapture, a seven-year tribulation. After the seven-year tribulation, the com second coming of Christ and the battle of Armageddon. After that, one thousand-year millennium and the reign of Christ on earth. Then after that, the devil will be loosed for a season. And then the great white throne judgment. And at that great white throne judgment, I've heard preaching before that says not everybody will be there. I agree with it. I, but I do believe everybody will be there. It's just not everybody will have to stand before that great white throne. And so if you're saved, you do not have to fear the great white throne. If you are not saved, you are in for an eternity of hell. In this particular passage of Scripture... Jesus is 
saying to these people, there are going to be many that will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in thy name? Have we not done many wonderful works? This is where it's personal to me. As a deacon in Cornerstone Baptist Church in Colorado Springs, Colorado, going out twice a week soul winning and leading people to Christ using the Word of God, and by the way, it's not you, it's the Word of God. I would have had to stand before God one day at the great white throne judgment and say, Lord, Lord, have I not won people to Christ? The title of the message that I want to give you today is Missed It By That Much. Missed It By That Much. Every time I hear that phrase, I think of Maxwell Smart. Missed it by that much. But that's the sad reality. I said earlier, I recognize that there are a large percentage of you in here that are saved. I get that. I understand that. I realize that. But I also understand that I used to sit among you as a deacon in a church unsaved. So I don't comfort myself believing that 100% of everyone in here is saved today. I don't know who is and I don't know who is not. My wife and my children are all in Florida. You all need to be praying for me. I've bachelored for three days now and I'm tired of it. (laughs) (laughs) Told my wife, she said, you gonna be okay? I said, oh yeah, I'll be fine. The moment they left, man, I I'm good for a couple days, but after that, man, I'm ready for my wife and kids to be home. But uh, uh, I don't know whether my wife is saved or not. I believe she is, but I can't see her heart. My wife would have told you uh, prior to my salvation that I'm saved because I had all of the fruits, I guess you want to call them, of a Christian life. I just didn't have those fruits in my heart. You see, a lot of people can mask it. A lot of people can live the Christian checklist. A lot of people can do the things that are expected of Christians. Um, But I say missed it by that much. Uh, I can't um, necessarily prove this from the Bible, but from personal experience I can say this. The worst day in eternity will be that day at the great white throne when people realize... They're about ready to be cast into hell forever, and there's no hope. None. Missed it by that much. People say almost all the time, well, I almost passed the test. How many kids have ever had to say that? My kids are very good coming to Dad and saying, well, Dad, I almost passed the test, kind of like it's a good thing. You know, uh, well, see, let me, let, me, let, let me break this down. Almost means you failed, right? <laughs> I almost passed the test. I almost caught the winning out. I almost made the winning shot. I almost won the race. I remember back in 2014, I think it was, I was watching the Winter Olympics 
And uh, I was watching that uh, speed skating thing where the, their skates are like razor sharp. You know what I'm talking about? It was the short track speed skating. And uh, the Netherlander uh, had already been done. He was the favorite, and he'd won, and he had come in with a 1 minute 45.00 second time where he crossed that finish line. And uh, the last two skaters on the, on the ice, there was a, a Polish fella, and I don't even remember the other guy, but I remember the Polish fella. I mean, it was agonizing to watch. I mean, it was all over his face. He was trying hard. You know how they get to the end of that thing, and then they lunge forward and get that skate across? Well, I mean, it was, and, and how they'll put that blue line on the, uh, on the screen to show you where they are in relation to the person that's ahead. Well, man, it was so close, and anticipation 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 and they're waiting and and we on the tv are waiting i'm like man that was close and the time came up one minute 45.00 tied to the one hundredth of a second so they had to go to the thousandths of a second and the polish fellow lost by three one thousandths of a second Isn't that wrong? They both should have gotten a gold medal out of that. But the fact of the matter is he missed it by that much. Missed it by that much. When we are born, I kind of want to give you a perspective. There is a gap. The day you're born, your life, the day you die. Somebody gave an illustration one time about eternity and said if a little sparrow were to pick up one grain of sand from the Atlantic side of the, uh, of, of the east, eastern coast, one grain of sand fly all the way across and put that grain of sand on the Pacific, then fly back, pick up one grain of sand, and fly and drop it and empty the entire east coast into the west coast, It didn't make one dent in eternity. We think 70 years is quite quite a while if we happen to live 70 years. We're born and we have this gap. I'm going to say 70 years even though we don't know what that is. We have this gap that as we live in life it is appointed unto men once to die but after that the judgment. And as we live our lives we are coming closer and closer and closer to that day we do not know of. You might leave today, have a heart attack, and go into eternity. You might leave today, get hit by a car, and go into eternity. You might leave today, and the rapture would happen. Glory to God, would that be great. Uh, You don't have to worry about anything anymore. But that gap continually closes. And I want to look at three types of people who missed it by that much. Three types of people in your Bible. Go to Luke 18 with me. Luke 18. What we do with that gap in our lives, especially when we are presented with the gospel and have the, uh, the opportunity to receive Christ as our personal Savior, uh, what we do with that time is of infinite importance, for I do not want to be one, and I do not want other people to be one who have to stand before the great white throne. Because if you're standing before the great white throne, you have no hope. Luke chapter 18 And beginning in verse number 18, the Bible says that a a certain ruler asked him, saying, Good master, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? Remember that question. What shall I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said unto him, Why callest thou me good? None is good save one, that is God. 
Thou knowest the commandments, do not commit adultery, do not kill, do not steal, do not bear false witness. Honor thy father and thy mother. And he said, all these have I kept from my youth up. Now when Jesus heard these things, he said unto him, yet lackest thou one thing, sell all that thou hast, and distribute unto the poor, and thou shalt have treasure in heaven, and come follow me. And when he heard this, he was very sorrowful, for he was very rich. And when Jesus saw that he was very sorrowful, he said, How hardly shall they that have riches enter into the kingdom of God? Now, some people look at this passage and they wonder why in the world Jesus would seemingly tell this young man something that he had to do in order to go to heaven. I mean, he told him, he said, keep these commandments, and listed some commandments. And the fellow said, well, I've done all of that since I was was young. He said, well, you still lack one thing. Sell everything you have and come and follow me and you're going to have treasure in heaven. And we look at that passage of Scripture and we kind of puzzle over that because we understand the gospel to be absolutely 100% faith in Jesus Christ and and, and nothing about our works. For by grace are ye saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. I mean, I can't even get in the waters of that baptism and say, I got baptized, so I'm going to heaven. I mean, the only reason I get to go to heaven when I die is through the shed blood of Jesus Christ. And so when I come to Luke 18 and I see Jesus himself, who is the way, the truth, and the life, when I see him telling this young rich man to do this, do this, do this, do this, and do this, and have that young man say back, well, I've done all of those things, then what else, what else do I need to do? He said, you lack one thing, sell everything you have, and come follow me. And he went away sorrowful because of the goods that he had. And the point behind the story was not necessarily that Jesus was trying to get this young man to do something. He was trying to see that the young man was resting in his own righteousness. It was not the righteousness of, listen, you and I are to be, if God looks at Ford Glover and says, Ford Glover, why should I let you come into heaven? I would have to tell him, you shouldn't. I know I'm a sinner. But Jesus died on the cross and shed his blood so that I could be clothed in whose righteousness? His righteousness. And so when God looks at me, I'm thankful that he no longer sees Ford Glover. He sees the blood of Jesus Christ that covers and has washed away my sins. And so this young man was caught up in his own self-righteousness. Here's a thought. Would that rich young man be so good especially in his own eyes, if he didn't have the possessions that he had. I mean, that fellow was born with a silver spoon in his mouth. There was no reason for him to dishonor mom and dad. There was no reason for him to lie, cheat, and steal. There was no reason for him to do what we consider to be bad things in life because he had everything handed to him. And so he was able to rest in his own righteousness. His possessions and his riches afforded him the ability to keep those commandments. How many people cannot see their lack of the eternal because of their abundance of the temporal? Um, You're a soul-winning church. Many of you go out and knock on doors. Let me ask you, this is a rhetorical question now, but answer in your heart. And it's probably going to be on your face when I ask it. But how many of you understand the human nature in us to avoid the rich areas? Right? Well, they don't need Christ. They're rich. They're going to reject what we have to say because they have no need. 
We all feel that way. I mean, I, I feel that way. I don't have a problem witnessing to anybody. But I'm going to tell you something. I really want to go to the pond where the fish are really biting. That's where I like to go. But this rich young man had that. So, how hardly, Jesus said, shall they that have riches enter into the kingdom of God. So, this rich young man, I want you to notice something too. Listen, I told you to remember the question. Go back to Luke 18, or Luke 18, 18. And a certain ruler asked him, saying, Good master, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? You understand something right here? The man knew he lacked something. The man knew he did not have eternal life. But he was resting in everything that he did and trying to justify his own righteousness with the, with the way, the truth, and the life that was standing right in front of him, the creator of this universe. He was trying to justify everything about his life to say, I know I don't have it, but I think I deserve it. What else do I need to do? Missed it by that much. There's no record in the Word of God that that young man ever received Christ as his personal Savior. You and I will see him one day at the great white throne judgment. How about this, Acts 24? The regal. We talked about the rich. That young man missed it by that much. How about the regal? Acts 24, beginning in verse number 22, and when Felix heard these things, having more perfect knowledge of that way, he deferred them and said, when Lysias, the chief captain, shall come down, I will know the uttermost of your matter. And he commanded a centurion to keep Paul and to let him have liberty and that he should forbid none of his acquaintance to minister or come unto him. And after certain days, when Felix came with his wife Drusilla, which was a Jewess, he sent for Paul and heard him concerning the faith of, uh, uh, in Christ. And as he reasoned of righteousness, temperance, and judgment to come, Felix trembled and answered, Go thy way for this time when I have a convenient season, I will call for thee. Felix is the individual who has the power. He has the clout. He has the social standing. If this person is not already a Christian, chances are they never will become one. Because power and clout and social standing are very important to people who have it. And they're not going to want to give it up. They don't reach a position like that because they're so narrow-minded as to believe. I re recall um, um, Larry King. Um, remember, you know, anybody know the name, the obscure name, Joel Osteen? Yeah. Y'all remember when he was on Larry King? And Larry King, as a non-Christian, who's really not just non-Christian, but I think anti-Christian, when people like that, and have the power and the clout that they do have, get a hold of a professing Christian, they do everything they can to make them look stupid and silly. And so Larry King asked him in such a way, do you really believe that only 4 or 5% of the world who claims your Christianity and your Christ 
what about all of the other religions of the world? Are you saying that they are all wrong and they are going to go to hell? And Joel, not to his credit, tap danced around that like you wouldn't believe. I like to think, now look, I wasn't in the situation, okay? And I know you look at me and you say, Brother Glover, man, you would have stood up. Yeah. I would have done it. I would have looked, liked to say that I would have done that, but not being in the situation. But I would like to say that I would have said something along these lines. No, Larry, I'm not saying it. That is. I'm not saying it. I happen to believe the Bible. I happen to believe the Word of God. And I happen to believe that I have a responsibility to the other 96% that you are talking about to let them know what this book says. It doesn't matter what my opinion is. It's what this says. And so if you're asking me if Jesus Christ is the only way to heaven and 96% of the world that does not believe in him will go to hell, then I will say, yes, I believe that because the Bible says it. I look at a fellow like Larry King and these regal people. Go to Acts 26 if you're still in Acts 24. Go ahead and go to that. But Felix, who is this regal individual who was obviously a very smart person, uh, very knowledgeable in things, listened as Paul reasoned of righteousness and temperance and judgment. And listen, when you're confronted with the fact that you're a sinner, there is absolutely zero denying that. When I'm out soul winning and I'm telling people about Christ, I don't know that I have ever, other than people who want to mock, I've never had someone tell me, well, no, I'm not a sinner. People understand that they are sinners. People know that we have a nature that we are born with. But as we progress in life and we become smarter and smarter and smarter and smarter, too good for our, you know, for our own good, honestly, uh, we, we begin to reason about righteousness and temperance and faith and understand that there are many, many world religions and we begin to ask the question, well, who's right? Well, I just happen to believe that I have a God in heaven and a Savior who loved us enough to die on the cross for us, who's powerful enough to penetrate even to the piercing of the dividing of sunder of soul and spirit, and His Word can get down to the nitty-gritty of the, of the person and make them realize and understand, you know what, there is one thing I lack, and it's Jesus Christ. So all of the reasoning in the world, and the, and so listen, I, 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 the conviction that Felix was under, he trembled, at the righteousness and temperance and judgment that Paul talked about, knowing in himself that what Paul was telling him was true, he said, go away, I'll call for you when I have a convenient time. In other words, when I can get my wits back about me again and, and get, get away from all of this that you're telling me right now, when I have a convenient time, it's interesting that he pushed conviction aside to wait for convenience. In Acts chapter number 26, in verse number 13, Paul, as he was still a prisoner, because of the gospel, by the way, he's now standing before King Agrippa. What an interesting study. I remember reading through Acts one time. I, I took a challenge to read the Bible through in 30 days. I didn't make it. It's like two and a half hours of reading a night. But I did make it in 36 days. And I remember... When I was reading through the book of Acts, I remember feeling like that I had stepped out of that moment and was looking at things from a bird's eye view. 
And the book of Acts is all about the Apostle Paul preaching to the common people, getting in trouble for that. Then Lysias, the chief captain that we talk about right here, Lysias, that chief captain, pulled him aside. He got to give the gospel to him and soldiers. And then he was moved to Felix. He got to give the gospel to Felix and then Festus right after him. And then King Agrippa. And I remember thinking to myself, look at what Paul is doing in his faithfulness to the gospel. God is opening up doors to him to, uh, to witness to people who are very, very, very powerful. And I remember watching that progression and trying to get to the end of the book of Acts because I'd never seen it in that light before. And I went because he said, I appeal to Caesar. And Caesar at the time was the world emperor. And I thought, wow, Paul is going to get, that sounded good, wow, uh, Paul is going to get to talk to Caesar himself and give the gospel to Caesar. And I remember getting to the end of the book of Acts, and I come to this part with Agrippa here, where he says at midday, O king, I saw on the way. Agrippa had wanted to hear him for a long, long time. He heard about the Apostle Paul. He said, I mean, this guy's causing problems all over our, uh, our realm. Well, I want to hear from him. What's going on? And I remember thinking to myself, did he ever get to witness to Caesar? And the book of Acts ends without knowing whether he got to talk to Caesar or not. And I went, what a jip. What a jip. Man, go to Philippians. I love this. Philippians 4. So we know the story. Paul was sent to Rome where he died, where he wrote 2 Timothy. But Philippians, he wrote this. Look at verse 19. But my God shall supply all your need according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. Now unto God and our Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. Salute every saint in Christ Jesus. The brethren which are, which are with me salute you. All the saints salute you, chiefly they that are of... Man, I read that and I about jumped out of my chair. I mean, he, did, he got to witness that word household. I said, oh, i got to see this. That word household means his family. All the saints salute you, chiefly they that are of Caesar's family. His household, people that lived in his house. And not just, but servants and things as well. Some of Caesar's family members received Christ because of the Apostle Paul. Anyway, that was free. All right. Back to Acts 26. So here he is now in the middle of this progression, and he's witnessing to King Agrippa. And Agrippa said, Paul, you're permitted to speak for yourself. And he said, at midday, O king, I saw in the way a light from heaven above the brightness of the sun shining round about me and them which journeyed with me. And when we were all fallen to the earth, I heard a voice speaking unto me and saying in the Hebrew tongue, Saul, Saul, why persecutest thou me? It is hard for thee to kick against the pricks. And I want to say this. It is hard for us to kick against the pricks. You know what that is? It's the, the conviction. The Apostle Paul was killing Christians for the cause of Christ. He thought, I, I, thought, I thought that I would do many things against Christ. I thought I was doing God a favor by doing this. But I realized I was not, and the conviction was coming upon him especially when he saw Stephen. The conviction was coming upon him. He says, hard for thee to kick against the pricks. And I said, who art thou, Lord? And he said, I am Jesus whom thou persecutest. 
But rise and stand upon thy feet, for I have appeared unto thee for this purpose, to make thee a minister and a witness both of these things which thou hast seen and of those things in the which I will appear unto thee, delivering thee from the people and from the Gentiles unto whom now I send thee to open their eyes and to turn them from darkness to light and from the power of Satan unto God, that they may receive forgiveness of sins and inheritance among them which are sanctified by faith that is in me. Whereupon, O King Agrippa, I was not disobedient unto the heavenly vision, but showed first unto them of Damascus and at Jerusalem and throughout all the coasts of Judea and then to the Gentiles that they should repent and turn to God and do works meet for repentance." For these causes the Jews caught me in the temple and went about to kill me. Having therefore obtained help of God, I continue unto this day, witnessing both to small and great, saying none other things than those which the prophets and Moses did say should come, that Christ should suffer, and that he should be the first that should rise from the dead, and should show light unto the people and to the Gentiles. And as he thus spake for himself, Festus said with a loud voice, Paul! Thou art beside thyself. Much learning doth make thee mad. But he said, I am not mad, most noble Festus, but speak forth the words of truth and soberness. Now listen to the, the, oh, the straightforwardness of the Apostle Paul, the courage that he had. Look at verse 26. For the king knoweth of these things, before whom also I speak freely. For I am persuaded that none of these things are hidden from him. For this thing was not done in a corner. King Agrippa, believest thou the prophets? I know that thou believest. Then Agrippa said unto Paul, what's that next word? Oh, my word. Missed it by that much. We're going to see him one day. but him standing in front of the great white throne. Can you imagine what's going to go through King Agrippa's mind? Festus' mind? Felix' mind? Hey, how about this person? How about the thief on the cross? Not the one that got saved. How about him? I wonder where the other thief is going to be standing when the one thief is standing. Hey, don't say anything bad about him. We're here. We deserve what we're getting. Lord, remember me. Today thou shalt be with me in paradise. What about Pilate? Stood face to face with Jesus Christ and asked this question, what is truth? When truth was standing right in front of him. Listen to me. We are so privileged that truth decorates the coffee table of every home in America. <laughs> but it's the most unread book there is. <coughs> Truth. I'm about done. Wait, your pastor goes into quarter after. I got plenty of time. <coughs> well, we've talked about the rich. We've talked about the regal. How about the religious? Mark 12. <laughs> Mark 12. I'll begin in verse number 28. When you get there, you can catch up to me. Mark 12, verse 28. And one of the scribes came, and having heard them reasoning together, and perceiving that he had answered them well, asked him, which is the first commandment of all? 
Jesus answered him, the first of all the commandments is, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord, and thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, and with all thy soul, and with all thy mind, and with all thy strength. This is the first commandment. And the second is like, is like, namely this, Thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. There is none other commandment greater than these. In another passage of Scripture, he says, On these two commandments hang all of the law and the prophets. Verse 32, And the scribe said unto him, Well, Master, thou hast said the truth, for there is one God, and there is none other but he. And to love him with all the heart, and with all the understanding, and with all the soul, and with all the strength, and to love his neighbor as himself is more than all whole burnt offerings and sacrifices. And when Jesus saw that he answered discreetly, he said unto him, mm, Thou art not far from the kingdom of God. No record in Scripture about the scribe receiving Christ. What about him? Missed it by that much. I don't know whether we'll see him standing in front of the great white throne or aside from it. I don't know. But I want to ask the question to you, is this something that you're going to have to say one day? Almost. I'm talking to the rich I'm talking to the regal I'm talking to the religious and I'm also talking to the regular the regular person I'm talking to the deacons talking to the assistant pastors I'm talking to the people who come maybe just on Sunday morning I'm talking to the people who are faithful Sunday night and Wednesday night I'm talking to the people who are faithful tithers I'm talking to the people who are just now being accustomed to Bible preaching and teaching. I'm talking to regular people. And I'm trying to tell you that the longer you live your life, as that gap gets closer and closer and closer to the day you close your eyes in death, I'm here to tell you in no uncertain terms whatsoever, the moment you close your eyes in death, you never have another chance to receive Christ as your personal Savior. In September of 1973, I was seven years old. I shouldn't have said that. You'll know how old I am now. <laughs> September of 1973, my dad sang for the Master's Quartet in our church, out of our church, and he was in Rensselaer, Indiana, singing. And he had had, I remember he had a, he had a body cast on. He had uh, recently um, um, dislocated his shoulder, and they had to reset it. And that's back when casts were made out of plaster. And you can't get them wet. And so he had this cast on, and I, they were singing in Rensselaer. That's irrelevant. But um, that's, I remember my dad having to have that cast on. And my mom and my brother-in-law had gone over to my Aunt Charlene's house, just 10 minutes away from our house. Uh, and uh, we, we got to watch on a Friday night, yay, past bedtime, we got to watch the world television premiere of Return to the Planet of the Apes. Man, we were in heaven. My, grandma, or my uh, aunt had made homemade tacos, and I remember sitting up on the... I don't, I don't know that they, did they even make shredded cheese back then, because I remember her putting it on the counter and cutting it and shredding it up for us to put on the homemade tacos that she had. But uh, uh, we, got to, we got to do that. <clears throat> and while Dad was away singing with the quartet in Rensselaer, and we're coming home on that night, <clears throat> and I'm not kidding you, we're 30 seconds from home. We cross Edgewood Avenue, it curves around to Arlington and our second house on the left. 
Edgewood Avenue at that point in time did not have a stop sign for us, had a stop sign coming the other way, and a drunk driver ran the stop sign and plastered right into my mom's door. Slammed her face on the steering wheel, cut her face all up, broke three of her ribs. My little brother, who was five at the time, uh, broke one of his femurs and gave him a concussion. Did not knock him out. He was in shock. Didn't know what was going on. Me, on the other hand, I broke both of my legs, split my head wide open, and ruptured my spleen. They did not know that. It was um, three days in intensive care where there was something wrong uh, with me. Not anymore. <laughs> uh, they, didn't know, they didn't know what was wrong. What are you laughing at? Uh, they didn't know what was wrong. But my grandmother kept telling them he is a lean little boy. Something wrong with his tummy. It was a little swollen. And of course, it's, oh, yeah, Grandma, Grandma, we're, 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 you know. And after three days in the intensive care, my spleen, which was ruptured, burst. And um, big to do, my mom tells me that uh, they had lost my pulse two different times, both for over six minutes at a time. And um, they told my mom and dad that, you know, listen, you be very prepared because of all the oxygen he did not get. In both of those times, he's probably going to be brain damaged for life. And um, so, long story short, is this. I would be in hell today. Yet I get out of all of that and live my life up until May 25th, 1994 in self-deception until I receive Christ as my personal sin. Boy, I thank God for that day. I, I believe with all of my heart that was my last opportunity. You see, I went to church every week. I heard the gospel every week. I was never resistant to it. But boy, oh boy, when it came to me, oh, you're not saved. I couldn't deny it. Regular person. Regular people sitting out here day after day, week after week, year after year. Get to hear the gospel. We become callous to it sometimes, and that's why I say a message like this is one that I would like a pastor to preach in my absence. Because me preaching it to my people, they've heard my testimony many times. And I'm afraid my testimony becomes dull of hearing to the people that hear it often. In Acts 28, verses 23 and 24, if you're still there, the Bible says, and when they had appointed him a day, there came many to him into his lodging to whom he expounded and testified the kingdom of God, persuading, and concerning, uh, pers persuading them concerning Jesus, both out of the law of Moses and out of the prophets, from morning till evening, and some believed the things which were spoken, and some believed not. We have the same account in Acts chapter number 17. We have the same account throughout Jesus' ministry, and the common people heard him gladly. But it's almost always accompanied by some believed and some did not. And my question for you today is, are you going to have to stand before that throne one day? Has there been a time when you've been convicted over that sin and your lack of the Savior and have put it off like Felix did or have refused to believe it? Or are you like the rich young ruler? Are you like Felix? Are you like, uh, are you like the scribe that knew all there was to know in religion and banking on the fact that, well, I do these things and therefore I am saved? 
or just like a regular person, you've put it off and put it off and put it off. I'm going to tell you something right now. You are not guaranteed one more breath. Not one. I told you the story about when I was seven because of this. The last thing on our mind that we would have a car accident and almost send us into eternity on September of 1993. Had we known, my mom would have hit the brakes for about five seconds and let that drunk driver pass right in front of us. You do not know when you're going to take your last breath. I don't want you to have to say, I missed it by that much. Let's bow our heads and close our eyes. I'm just going to ask you. And I kind of have been asking you through the whole service. Nobody looking around, so it's not going to be embarrassing to you. You say, Pastor Glover, I, I'm one of those four. I may not be rich, I may not be regal, I may not be religious. I'm certainly regular. Like you, I've come to church my entire life. Or, this is my first time ever hearing the gospel. Or, I'm not as faithful as I should be, but I have heard it before. It doesn't matter to me whether you live in the Bible or whether you've never heard it before. There comes a point in every person's life where they have to deal with the fact of their sin. And you say, Pastor Glover, I've said prayers in my life. I've even said, Jesus, come into my heart and save me. But I know I've never placed my faith and trust in Jesus Christ. And I'm willing to tell you that with an uplifted hand. You say, Pastor Glover, I've never done that. Is there anybody in here that would say that? I see that hand. Thank you. You can put it down. Anybody else? Wonderful. Father, I am grateful to you to be able to preach your word. Sat down there in that front row today. As many years as I've been preaching the Bible, I still get knots in my stomach before I stand up to preach. It's not a feeling I like. But I have to tell you, it's a feeling I don't know that I want to go away. I don't want to ever get so comfortable with it that it becomes passe to me. This is eternal. I pray, Lord, that as you worked on hearts and lives today, this one young man that raised his hand said, you know what, I've never trusted Christ to be my personal Savior. Well, this is the day for that. And Lord, others in here, you have dealt with people the way you want to deal with them today. And I trust that whatever decision you want people to make today, they would be willing to make as we open the altar this morning. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Let's all stand.